And as you know, the theme for the month is all is calm, all is bright. And last week we talked about being calm and what that looks like. It's basically another word for peace. You know, uh, this, this season, the birth of Jesus was meant to bring us peace and joy, calm and bright. And so this week we're going to talk about bright. And we have a, uh, a verse that we're using this month that we typically do in our series. And I'm going to read it and I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture out of Luke 2. This was the story of Jesus, the, the birth of Jesus, and the angel came and appeared to the shepherds, and it says the shepherds were terrified because all of a sudden out in the middle of nowhere here comes this angel, and the glory of the Lord shined around him. And it says in Luke 2, chapter, verse 10, it says the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. He's saying don't be afraid. You can be calm, and I'm going to bring great joy, which is you can be bright. And this is why that we can be, have peace and joy, is that today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Everyone say, to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know, the greatest joy that we have in the world is the fact that not only was a Savior born, he was born to you, and he was born to me. He didn't come to save uh, a government. He didn't come to save a corporation. He didn't come to save just something. He came to save you and to save me. And let me tell you, that should be enough for us. That's enough to give us joy in our life. It's not just for a select few. It's for all who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Father God, we do love you. We thank you so much that you're so good. We thank you that we have reason to have joy in any and all circumstances in our life because of what you have done for us. We thank you. We pray that you would do your work in our lives in these next few moments, God. I pray that our hearts would be good soil today that your word would produce fruit in our lives and that you would seal the work that you're doing in us by your Holy Spirit. We promise to give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. You're the only one worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Hallelujah. So we're talking about all is bright today. As you can tell, we had a lot of brightness already in our service. I think, in fact, our light brights out in the atrium. If you didn't catch that, that's what that's about uh, we like to be thematic in these weeks because we really want it to hopefully sink into our hearts that, uh, that we have reason to have joy and hope in this Christmas season, but all year round, really. Uh, as I said in a, a minute ago, it really is the greatest joy that we could ever experience is the fact that a Savior came into the world to save us and to, to set us free from the biggest debt in the history of mankind, the debt of sin that we owed that could not pay back, but Jesus did for us. And, you know, I would want to ask you today, is that what it is to you? Is, is the, the birth of Jesus and his life and his death and resurrection, is it worthy of joy in your life? Yes. Is it something that you experience in your life where you experience the joy of the Lord because of what he did 2,000 years ago? Is that event that happened 2,000 years ago, is it enough for you that it brings joy into your life today? Now, I know in the, on Sunday morning when I ask that question, we have to say yes because we're in church and that's the right thing to do. But, you know, there's, a, there's another 6.9 days of the week that we have to deal with. And is that event, is, that, is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, is that enough to bring us joy in those other days? Because, you know, joy is somewhat hard to come by today by the world standards, right? Especially in 2020. It's been, a, it's been an interesting year to say the least. And joy seems to be a little bit elusive. Uh, frustration is in ready supply. Uh, confusion is everywhere. Uh, anger is, uh, you can have all you need if you're looking for that. 
uh, resentment, frustration, fear, worry, anxiety. Those things are, there's more of that than we need, right? There's ample supply of all of it. But to actually have joy right now can be a challenge in our life. And so I would ask you today, do you you believe that you could have consistent joy in this world today? And my argument would be absolutely. And I'm going to try to convince you or remind you or encourage you of that today. Because, you know, Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, the Israelites were obviously going through a very difficult time. They were sent back to to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. They had been taken into captivity, but they were able to go back. But they were going through a very difficult season in their life. And Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8, he said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that tells me that no matter what we're going through, it's not about the outward circumstances in our life as to whether or not we can have joy. It comes from a higher power. It comes from a greater place. It comes from a different place than what this world can give us. Because, see, our joy is not something that comes from the world. You know, the, the, uh, the old song, uh, some of you probably know that I have a joy the world didn't give and the world can't take it away. The world can't take the joy that the Lord gives us. When, it's a joy, when, the, when the joy of the Lord is our strength, the world can't do anything about it. If our joy is based in the world and in the events that happen in our life and the things that the world can give us, because the world can give us some joy, right? You get, you get a raise at work, that'll give you some joy. It should, at least. You know, you have good things happening in your life. It can bring joy. In fact, the Bible even tells us that, that sin can bring joy into our life for a season. That we can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Or not that we can, that we shouldn't, but that that is a thing that can be done. But how many of you know that the joy that comes from sin is always very short-lived? It will be, you will be, uh, it will come to a day where your chickens will come home to roost when it comes to that. But even the joy that would come that the world can give, all of that is built, it's a house of cards. It's fragile. It can be taken away so quickly. If, if nothing else that we have learned from 2020 is that the, the joy and the, the security and the things the world can give us can be gone in no time. It's all very, very fragile. But there is a joy that comes that can, the world cannot take away. And, you know, if you are somebody right now that has joy in your life and you would say, I feel like I do have joy. I, I feel like 2020 could have been so much worse, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing the positive side of it. And the, I got the joy of the Lord in my heart and I actually feel it. If you're one of those people, you're absolutely in the minority right now, even in the church. You know, I, I had a friend call me this week uh, that I haven't talked to in quite some time. And he said, hey, how are things going? You know, I know you guys, you know, you transitioned, you know, during a pandemic and leading a church in the middle of this pandemic's got to be difficult. And, you know, people aren't coming back to church very quickly. And, you know, I just know it's hard. And how you doing? You know, and I said, I'm actually doing great. I, I feel really good. I feel, it, I feel like the Lord has given me a supernatural joy that I, I'm just, I have anticipation. I, I feel like I'm, my relationship with Jesus, I mean, I feel like I'm at a level of intimacy with him that I've never been at in my life, and I'm actually doing good. And I remember feeling in this conversation almost like I needed to apologize that I had joy. And I'm not saying he solicited that, but it's just that is the, the feeling we have now is that we should all be kind of down and, and sad. Not, not to say that things haven't happened this year that have been upsetting or hurt people, but there's a joy that the Lord gives us that the world cannot take away, that nothing in this world can take away. A pandemic cannot stand in the way of your joy. A financial situation cannot stand in the way of your joy. A health situation cannot stand in the way of your joy because we don't have a joy that the world gives. 
In fact, I would go as far as to say today, the only, there's only one thing in the whole world that can stand in the way of your joy, and that is you. And I know that's kind of a, that's a, that's a bold statement. It, it kind of hits you between the eyes. I, when I thought of it when I was preparing this week, I thought I had to look at myself too and look at the times where I've allowed joy to be stolen from me or I've allowed it to erode in my life in such a way where I wasn't feeling it. But I was the one that was the issue because the Lord is, he's always good. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can trust him in every situation in our life. So where does our joy start? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. The genesis of our joy is at, is at the time and the place of salvation. So if you're here today and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you remember getting saved, giving your heart and your life to Jesus, the joy comes from that moment, from, from giving yourself to be able to say, to have a genuine experience with God where you say, yes. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not good enough. I know that I need a savior and I need somebody to come into my life and, to get, and you, you invited Jesus in and you gave him control of your life. You said, my life is not your own anymore, my own anymore. Lord, I know you bought my life with a price and I'm giving it to you. There is a joy that comes into our heart at that moment and in that season that is beautiful. In fact, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 1. He says, though you have not seen him, he's talking about Jesus, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Some versions say a joy unspeakable is what Jesus fills us with. And then here's why we have that joy. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if you are saved, when we get saved, there's an unexplainable unspeakable joy that God gives us that we it's a gift that he gives us that you can't even always explain what it means to be saved you could just say you could explain what the Lord's done in your life but you can't always explain it away because it's sometimes it's unspeakable because it's just something that you know God just put in your heart that just floods us and overwhelms us we should be excited that we're saved to the fact that we went from death to life from cursed to blessed from lost to found, to be from, from being living a life that's all about myself to living my life for somebody else and having a greater purpose. That's enough right there that should bring joy into our life. That's the beginning of the joy of the Lord that comes into our life. Now, you may be here today and say, well, I haven't experienced that. Maybe you go in and out of, of church and you kind of come and you're not even sure exactly what the Christian faith is all about. You may not even say that you're a, a Christian today. You would say, I haven't had that experience where I've really given my life and my heart to Jesus. Well, I want to challenge you today and encourage you that it's the best decision you'll ever make. And today is the day of your salvation. It, but it's, it's a choice you have to make to be able to say, God, I don't want to just try to do this on my own anymore. I'm giving you my life because we know there is a hole in our heart that only God can fill. We all know it. Sometimes we don't exactly know what that is or how it looks, but I'm here to tell you today that that hole that we have in our heart is meant to be filled by Jesus. And that's what he wants to do, and he does not discriminate. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if that is you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to make that decision today because I believe it's so important. You don't have to live another hour being separated from the love of God. But we have to guard that, that joy that God gives us at the beginning. That joy gives us that salvation. We have to guard it because how many of you know as you live your life, it's very easy for that joy to erode. And it can erode and erode and erode till you get to the point where all of a sudden you look at yourself one day and say, I don't have any joy in my life and I can't remember the last time I did. 
Well, I'm here to tell you today that there's good news because God can restore your joy. He is a restorer of us. When we come to him, now we have to be honest about it. Let's take off our church face today. Let's, let's take off the facade and don't act like we have it all together. Let's, let's, be, let's come transparent before our God and say, if you don't have joy, you know it. And being able to say, God, I don't have your joy that I used to have. I remember when I had it, but I don't have it anymore. And when we come to him humbly, he will restore the joy. I, I, I think of King David, such a wonderful man from the Old Testament that, that did so many great exploits for God. God goes as far as to say he was a man after his own heart, did some great things, loved God. But he got to a place in his, in his kingship where he got a little arrogant, got a little cocky. And uh, he, he saw a woman that he liked and he took her and he, he uh, slept with her and she got pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. And then, but she had a husband and there was no way for David to hide it, what happened. And so he, long story short, he basically had her husband killed. And the prophet, one of the prophets at that time, Nathan, came to him and rebuked him and put his finger in his face and said, told him that he sinned. Now, David being the king could have done whatever he wanted. He could have put him in jail. He could have killed him. Nobody could have done anything about it. But David responded in humility. He said, I have sinned against God. And, he, and, and his prayer is actually outlined in Psalm 51. And one of the verses out of Psalm 51, David says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God can restore your joy, church. I know in a building, in a room this size, that there are people here that you've been saved for a long time, but you would not say that you have the joy of the Lord in your life. And I'm not going to ask you to come to the front and admit it to everybody, but you know it, and, and you need to be open before God today so he can restore that joy in your life. And I believe with all of my heart that he will do it. Now, that being said, as we live this life, I believe that joy is a product in our life of the choices that we make. Okay, so you see there's... On Pinterest and social media, you'll see these memes, these banners that say, choose joy. Choose joy. And it's really popular. And I'm sure there's shirts and all kinds of stuff about it. And it, it looks cute and it sounds nice, you know, that we would choose joy. But really, in, in, a, in a large way, that is a fallacy. Because it's partly true. But if you're in a situation, if you find yourself in a difficult situation, and you're just expected in that situation just to choose joy, you're really up against a lion. And a lot of times we're going to fail at that because the situation can be overwhelming. And when we hear, oh, we're just supposed to choose joy, and we, just, we say, okay, well, I choose joy, but we realize we're not really joyful no matter how much I say I'm choosing joy. You can't just grit your teeth and be joyful. And then you start to feel bad that you don't have joy because you're supposed to be choosing joy, but you don't really have it. So then you feel worse, and then it's even harder to get joy because you're even more depressed than you were before you decided to choose joy. Everybody follow that? Good. All right. So here's the thing, though. We do need to choose joy, but joy is a product of cultivating the ground in, this, in the life when we're leading up to those situations in our life. Yes. If we are waiting to choose joy in our life till we get to that tough situation, it's too late. Yes. It's too late for that situation. Yes. It's not to say you can't have it in the future, but right there, you're gonna, it's a losing battle. Yes. We have to live a lifestyle and make choices where we are sowing seed and we are cultivating the ground, cultivating the soil of our heart, being intentional, living intentional in such a way that when we get to those tough times in life, we can choose joy because of what the, so, the seed we've sown. That's right. And we reap what we sow. So to be able to choose it, you have to put in the work to be able to have it. Okay? So what I'm going to do today is I want to give you a few things. That I think the three main keys or main points 
of what joy is a product of, how we can cultivate the ground so that we can have joy in our life, okay? And the first one, joy is a product of devotion, okay? Now, this is the most basic, but also oftentimes the most overlooked aspect of the Christian life, of being devoted. We buy into this thing that salvation is about saying a prayer and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into my heart. I don't want to go to hell, so do what you got to do, Lord, to make sure I don't. And we kind of can do our own thing after that point. Or maybe we're kind of half-heartedly serving God. We kind of, you know, we'll give him some things, but we're not giving him everything. And, and living a half-heartedly devoted Christian life is a surefire way to kill and steal the joy in your life. Because you are not cultivating in such a way that you will be able to really draw on the joy of the Lord when you get to those tough situations. And I can tell you today that the church, the local church, is full of half-hearted, devoted Christians. And there's no place in the Word of God that I have ever found that condones half-heartedly serving Him. Jesus says just the opposite. And I know I say this all the time, but I am so passionate about it because I believe so wholeheartedly in it that so many of us are missing out on the joy of the Lord because we got one foot in and one foot out. And there's things that we're afraid we're unwilling and we're afraid to go all in because we know to go all in, there are things on this side that we're going to have to give up. And so we're afraid to do it. And I came here to tell you today, if you don't hear anything else I, hear to, I say today, please, please hear this. There, is, there are things you have to leave behind if you're going to be fully devoted to God. Amen. There absolutely are. But there is nothing you will ever leave behind that is better than serving Jesus. Nothing in this world, ever. And I can say it from experience, church. There are things, I, when, I, when I felt the call to go into the mission field, I was scared. I knew I was going to have to leave some comforts behind. I knew I was going to have to leave some things behind that I didn't want. I, knew, I just knew that God was going to call me, and I was going to have to go into a, a far-off land, live in the bush with no electricity, and I'm going to just have to figure out a way to keep my sandals from ruining for 10 years. And I was never going to have any money. I was never going to get married. I was going to you know, never be clean. And I was going to have to live this life and it was just going to be, you know, and I was scared to really jump in. And I hesitated for a season because I was too nervous to be fully devoted. It wasn't even that it was, there was sin in my life that I was unwilling to give up. It was about, I already love Jesus, but to go to that next level with him scared me. And I, I fought it for months and I can tell you, I was absolutely miserable. Until I finally got to that place, I will never forget it. I was on my knees in my bedroom, and I said, Lord, okay, I'll go. And I felt the joy of the Lord in my life like I have never experienced it before, and it has not stopped since that day. And I lived with less when I was in missions than I've ever lived with, and I was just as content and more joyful in many ways than I've ever been because I, I, I got to experience the joy of the Lord that comes from being fully devoted to him and not half-heartedly. Now, in the local church and in our lives, that's completely different. That, it looks like, are we willing to give up the sins that we really enjoy, the, the things that we don't think are a big deal that we're not willing to give up to be fully devoted to him? And we think, I don't really want to give that up. It's not that big of a deal, Lord. Just let me have that. And the Lord would say, if you're going to be fully devoted, no, you do have to give that up. But again, he is so much more than anything you'll ever leave behind. He is so much more than anything you will leave behind. And we can't expect to have the joy of the Lord in tough situations if we're not fully devoted. It, because, frankly, we're all devoted to something. And wherever we're devoted to, whatever we're devoted to, that's the source of our joy. 
Wherever you, where your devotion is, is where your joy comes from. So if you're devoted to your job and making a lot of money and putting a bunch of money away so you can retire and, and have a bunch of those things that you think you want, if, if you get a raise at work, that's where your joy comes from. But then if you have a bad day at work and you think your boss is overlooking your hard work, then your joy goes away. Your joy goes up and down like this because that's where your devotion is. It's based on something in the world. Now, I'm not saying that working hard and having a good job and getting a raise is a bad thing, but that cannot be the main source of our joy. That can't be the main source of our devotion. Our devotion is first and foremost to Jesus. And if he says, I want you to quit this job and take a lower paying job because I want to use you in this place to further my kingdom, then if we're devoted to him, we say, no problem. We don't always look at the numbers when we're serving Jesus. What I'm not saying we don't ever look at him. I'm saying that we have to be careful when we're devoted to him that he may have us do things that don't make sense in the world's eyes. But where your devotion is, is where your joy will come from. And the fruit of devotion is joy if you're devoted to the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't come automatically just because you got saved. The fruit of the Spirit has to be cultivated in our life. You know, God gives it to us, but we have to receive it and cultivate it. And it's all about where, where we are devoted. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I will tell you this. I'm not going to tell you that being fully devoted to him is all rosy and everything always goes perfect and you don't have any challenges or any problems in this life. But, you know, I believe we can get to a level of intimacy. Mm. I believe we can get to a level of intimacy where even the challenging times when we are being challenged, especially in our faith, that those times can be more rewarding and give us more joy, more, uh, more substantial real joy than even when there's just good things that are happening in our life. I believe that with all my heart. And you know, the apostles in the early church kind of exemplified this. And, and I have made this kind of a, a, a mantra of my life because I, it just, it, it, it really jumped out at me years ago. What it, what it really means when I really pursue Jesus and say, what does it really mean to live for you, Lord? And when you look at the early church and you look at the apostles, you know, and they were going around preaching Jesus, they were, people were getting saved, people were getting healed. And we know the religious leaders didn't like it because they thought they got rid of Jesus. And here were these, these early Christians that were still talking about him. And it says they, they, they brought him into the Sanhedrin, into the, you know, where the religious leaders brought him into their court. And they actually told him to stop preaching about Jesus. And they flogged him, which was a beating, a whipping. And these apostles left the Sanhedrin. In fact, I'm going to read it in Acts 5, 41. It says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, they had joy, because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name. That is a, that is a, a verse, that is an idea that so many Christians will never understand. The thought of suffering for Jesus, like we would maybe put up with it if we had to, if we love him. But to actually be rejoicing, to actually say that they had joy, the joy of the Lord was in them because they were able to suffer for Jesus. I heard a preacher just this week talk about the fact that it says there that they were counted worthy. They rejoiced because they were considered worthy to suffer. That tells us that not everybody's worthy to suffer. Not everybody is worthy of suffering for Jesus. And I would, so that makes me question, well, then who is? 
The people that are worthy to suffer for Jesus are the ones that are fully devoted to him. They're the ones that understand that life is not about what Jesus can do for me. It's about what he already did for me. It's not about whether or not he's going to give me what I want. It's about the fact that I get to be in relationship with the king of the universe, with the God of it all, wants to know me and wants me to know him, to know that that is so much greater than anything he could ever do for me. And those are the people that actually are considered worthy to be able to suffer for him. A lot of Christians, most Christians will never, be, will never even have to suffer for Jesus because they don't stand out enough to suffer for him because we blend in too much because we're not even we're not even those people that the Sanhedrin the leader the religious leaders would look at they would look at us a lot of us and just say well they're not even worthy they're not worth even giving a beating about Jesus I don't even know for sure if they love him and I don't want to be in that crowd now I'm not I'm not some sadomasochist that wants to suffer but I don't want to be in the crowd where the religious leaders wouldn't even give me the time of day because they think nah he's inconsequential I want to be one of the ones that might be considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. That's a hard word to receive, isn't it? To think, man, do I want to be worthy for a beatdown? It's not, not something, it's a very deep, deep idea that we see from the word of God. But see, some of us have been taught for so long, or maybe not even taught, but just believed for so long that the Christian life is about what Jesus can do for me. It's about him making everything in my life okay. Maybe it's just the selfish desires we have because all, we all have them. We all deal with being selfish and wanting God, want, coming to Jesus and saying, okay, God, I need you to fix this for me. Now, that's an aspect of our relationship with him where he does things for us. He's a good father. But that can't be the defining aspect of our relationship with him. It's just about being able to know him and love him and trust him. And to grow in that level of trust every day and to be devoted to him in such a way that no matter what I would have to leave behind, it would never stop me from my devotion to Jesus and getting to that place in our life. Job said in Job 13, he said, though he slay me, though I will serve him. Wow. I want, I want to have that heart. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe God's in the business of slaying us. Job is talking hyper, with hyperbole here saying, no matter what. No matter what, I will serve him. He, of all people, had to, could have got, gone there and thought that God was trying to slay him because everybody got wiped out in his family. He said, I don't care what God does to me, I'm going to serve him. Amen. That's devotion that God wants us to have in our life. All right, and then the second one would be devotion will lead us to perspective. Okay, joy is a product of having perspective in our life. How many of you know perspective is everything? But you know what? You can't have perspective without devotion. You're not going to have God's perspective in a situation that you're encountering if you haven't cultivated the ground of devotion to him. Because you don't know him well enough to even have his perspective in that situation. You don't know his heart well enough to know what he might be doing in this situation. Perspective is everything. I can illustrate it with a, with a story. So uh, there's two guys. Let's call them Bill and Joe. And they live in the upper Midwest. And... Uh, Years ago, there was a, a wolf problem. The wolves were overpopulating, and they were becoming a major menace and nuisance, and they were killing off pets, and, and um, even a couple people had gotten hurt by wolves. And so the, this tri-county area decided to put out a bulletin to all the hunters in the area. If you're a licensed hunter, we'll actually pay you to go out and shoot some wolves. They said, we'll pay you $100 per wolf that you kill. That's how desperate they were to thin the herd of all the wolves. So Bill and Joe, being avid hunters... And uh, also liking money, 
packed their camping gear the first day, and they took off, and they went deep into the woods where they figured there'd be a lot of wolves. And so they go into the woods, they're camped out this first night, and they're asleep, and all of a sudden, Bill is awakened by something in the camp. He could tell there's something there, and he could tell that whatever it is, there's a lot of it. And so he unzips the, the zipper of the tent and peeks his head out, and the, the campfire still got enough light that he could see that the whole camp is surrounded by wolves. These, and these wolves were nasty-looking, mean, growling, saliva coming out of their mouth, ready to attack. And they had systematically waited for these guys to go into bed so that they could surround them, and they were obviously going to come in and take care of these hunters. Numerous wolves. And so Bill very slowly creeps back into the tent, crawls over slowly to his buddy Joe, shakes him and wakes him, and he says, Joe, wake up. We're going to be rich. That's not where you thought that was going, did you? See, these guys had perspective because they had experience. They, they, they knew what it was like. They, they know that hunting wolves is going to be dangerous. They had learned what it took to kill these wolves. So rather than be freaked out, because, I mean, if that was me in that tent, I'm just saying my prayers saying, well, Jesus, I guess I'm coming to see you in a few minutes. But these guys were seeing dollar signs, right? It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. But they couldn't have that perspective if they didn't have experience. If this was their first time out in the woods hunting wolves, they would have been, they would not have been a good sight. We have to learn perspective, church. So even for you young people, like you have to give yourself some grace in life because you're not going to have the same perspective that somebody that's been serving Jesus for 50 years is going to have. So you can give yourself some grace. It's going to be a little more difficult to have the joy of the Lord in tough situations because you learn to have joy in the Lord in your life in tough situations as you've learned from previous situations. Even the Apostle Paul had to learn perspective. We think of the Apostle Paul, you know, he got to actually see Jesus. He got to go into the third heaven. I mean, it was just this, he had such an experience with Jesus. You just figured he, he left his encounter with Jesus and was like, I'm 100% bona fide apostle ready to go and everything's going to be great. That's not what he says at all. In fact, let's look at what he said in Philippians 4, one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible. He says, I am not saying this because I have plenty. I have learned, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Contentment is just, it's joy. It's, it's hope. It's peace. In every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But guess what, guys? Paul had to learn it. You know, we love the last line of that verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We see it tattooed. You see it on bumper stickers. It's a beautiful saying, but it comes after he says all these other things, that he had to learn perspective. He had to learn that God can give him strength in all situations. It was because of his devotion to God. Paul, no one was more devoted to God than Paul. And because of his devotion, it gave him perspective because of his experience. And so he had to learn what that looked like. And there's a word in here that's so powerful that we can so easily miss, but it means so much. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. What is the characteristic of a secret? A secret is not something that's broadcast to everybody. A secret is something that's, that's only for a select few, right? If, if everybody knows a secret, it's no longer a secret. 
And if you tell a teenager a secret, it's no longer a secret. That was a dig on my three teenagers. So to, to learn a secret, that's a big deal. He's saying, I had to learn the secret. That tells me that sometimes joy in a situation can be a little bit hidden. Like we have to learn what it looks like to have joy in a situation. You know, last week I talked about the fact that sometimes darkness gets an hour because Jesus said when they came to arrest him, he said, this is your hour where darkness reigns and it can, it can be difficult to have peace in our life. It's the same thing with joy. There's, it's a, there's a secret that comes that not everybody knows. But what I would challenge you today and encourage you today is be one of the ones that know. Be one of the ones that learns that secret of contentment in any and all situations in our life. See, this tells me that joy is not always a feeling. Sometimes it is, but it's not always a feeling. Because, you know, it's not our nature to be joyful in tough times. Not unless you're a, you know, sadomasochist, which not many of us are. But to, to actually have joy in tough times. Paul says that he learned the secret of being content in all situations, whether he was, if he was hungry whether he was in want, you know, whether he was shipwrecked or cold or being persecuted or being put in prison. I'm telling you, I'm sure his emotions weren't joyful. He's not doing heel clicks and saying, woohoo, I'm starving, hungry, and I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Boy, this was great. That's not how it works, right? So that tells me the joy isn't always an emotion. Sometimes it's a matter of having perspective, so it's a focus. It's, it's where we focus. I heard a pastor say one time that joy sometimes is a focus before it's a feeling. It's, a, having, a, it's having a point of view. It's having perspective in a situation where you can say, despite what's happening, I'm going to choose to have joy in this situation because I know my God, and I know that he's faithful, and I know he's brought me through situations like this before, and I know he promises to never leave me and never forsake me, and I've experienced that he hasn't left me and forsaken me. I've experienced his joy in my heart, that joy unspeakable. The joy of the Lord has been my strength, so I'm going to choose joy in this situation, even though I don't really want it. I'm going to choose joy in the fact that we're in a pandemic in 2020. It's been going on forever. I'm going to choose joy in it, even though it's not what I would have wanted. But I can also choose joy in it because I know my God and I know that I can trust him. No matter what. Amen? Somebody give God praise. He's worthy of it. Now let me be clear. Joy is not the absence of sadness. Or not just always the great news that we get. Because it's not always a feeling. It's a hope that we have. And sometimes this takes time in our life to really get the perspective that God wants us to have to be able to have joy in our situation. You know, I talk about it sometimes. I was in business. I had my own business for 15 years or so. And you, if you know business, you know it's feast or famine, right? And when it's feast, the joy is great. And when it's famine, you feel like you're going to die, right? And I can tell you, I went through many, many feasts and famines in 15 years of business. But I can also tell you that my 10th famine, I had a lot more joy than I did in my first one. Because by the 10th one, I'm looking back and going, no, no, I don't have to freak out. This, I, it was worse than this over here, and God took care of me. God was faithful. So we learn perspective through our devotion. And let me tell you, I was devoted to God through my whole time of having business. And I was trusting him to provide for us, not in my own abilities. So I was able to trust him in the midst of those difficult times. I was able to have perspective because of God's faithfulness in my life. Now, let me say one more thing about perspective. Because there's one area of perspective that I think is more of a joy killer in our life than, many, than most things. And it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic in our world, and it's an epidemic in the church. 
And it is the sin, and I, I am absolutely saying it is a sin. It is the sin of comparison. It is us comparing ourselves to others. Nothing will ruin your perspective, which will also kill your joy in your life, than comparing yourself to others. Now, I know we live in a society today where just about everything that comes at us on a daily basis is designed to cause us to compare ourselves to others. Social media, you know, nobody puts the bad stuff on social media. Everybody puts the good stuff. The trip to Alaska, you know, and you look at that and you think, well, I want to go to Alaska. Or they put their new car that they just bought. I want a new car too. And, and what, this, what happens is when we start comparing ourselves, comparison, it breeds greed, it breeds envy, jealousy, discontentment, strife, gossip, because we talk bad about that person. Oh, they must have went to big debt to go on that vacation because I know they don't make that much money. And you want to tell everybody because it makes you feel better about yourself. And when we compare ourselves, we are doing the exact opposite of what God's heart is for us because we're all in different seasons. We're not called to be in that person's season over there. You know, we're not called to, to want to be somebody else. We are who God called us to be in that moment. And we need to be content and have joy in the moment that we are in. But I'm, I know it's, it's everywhere, though. I mean, advertisement now, the, the main thrust of advertising, it seems like, is to try to get you to buy their product by convincing you that you're not as good of a person as the person on the commercial that has that product. Right? If you would just get this deodorant, mm, your life would be so much better. Right? I mean, let me just say, when it comes to, like, Disney World, I can assure you I have scratched my Disney itch. Okay? We went a number of years back. I am all set. I have no desire to go to Disney. For those of you that, you know, could go every month and think it's the greatest thing in the world, you and I live on different planets. Okay? But, man, you sit and you watch TV and you see these Disney commercials and everybody's having the time of their life and looking like it's basically a replica of heaven. And all of a sudden you're like, well, shoot, maybe I do want to go to Disney. But it's because I'm allowing somebody else to tell me what I want. Right? And trust me, it takes me about two seconds to talk myself out of wanting to go to Disney. But that, those things bombard us our whole life, all over the place. And comparison is killing our own perspective because we're trying to, we, we have the perspective of somebody else and we don't have any clue what's led those people to that place in their life. And God hasn't called you to live their life. He's called you to live your life and to enjoy it and live it to the fullest. All right, so that's my thing about comparison. All right, so finally, the last thing that I want to share with you today that joy is a product of is having purpose and I could talk about this for a long long time but I'm not going to today but I do want to just touch on it because you know I believe we all have more joy in our life if we have purpose we can all go through a lot more in our life if we know we have purpose everybody wants purpose corporations do better when the people in the corporation know the purpose of the corporation relationships are better if you know the purpose of it Exercising is easier when there's a purpose to it, when there's a goal that we're getting to. Church is better when you know that there's a purpose to it. You know why the attendance in churches in the U.S. has been declining rapidly, not just since this pandemic, but over the last 10 years, is because so many people feel a lack of purpose in the church. They feel like they're just going because that's kind of what they're supposed to do, but they don't feel a, a, a greater purpose it's not, they're not getting involved in something that's bigger than themselves. It's more about just coming and, and giving the church an hour, an hour and a half of their time. And, and it's started feeling empty for so many people that they've just started just 
moving away from church. And I can tell you that that is why we here are always, always, always going to be talking about the mission and the vision of this church. Because that is what gives us purpose. The, the mission of this church is, is what our purpose is. It's why we're doing what we're doing. And at the end of the day, it is about reaching those far from God and leading people to their next step in a God-first life. That's it. So if you're not far from God, or if you are far from God, we're here for you. That's what we're, we want you to come close to God. If you already do know God, then we're here to help you take your next step. Because we know in this walk of faith, there's always a next step. None of us have ever arrived. We always want to help you take your next step into living a God-first life. That's our purpose. And when we feel like we have purpose and we're part of something that's bigger than us, we can get on board with that, can't we? And we get excited. And there's joy in that, in knowing that we have purpose. I even, I said this a little bit last week, but I even feel, I believe that part of the, the purpose of this pandemic is so that people would see that there's more to life than what they've been doing. And that people would want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And whatever, I don't even know how the pandemic would even play into that, and I don't have to know. I just know that God is doing something. And, he, and people want to have purpose. And when we have purpose, we have joy in our life. Even Jesus needed purpose. Jesus himself needed purpose. Now, I know he was fully God on this earth, but he was also fully man. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he got arrested to go to the cross, and he was praying... We can, we can know without a doubt that he was reaching for his purpose. He was looking for his purpose because he even said to the fathers, he's praying, he's saying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me. But then he went back to his purpose. He said, but not my will, yours be done. And he knew that what his purpose was. and He was able to go through that agonizing next however many hours because he had purpose. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even tells us in Hebrews 12, look what it says. It says, let us run with the race, with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him so that you will also have purpose. Jesus said his purpose, the joy, that, that the reason he was able to go to the cross with joy was because he knew his purpose. His purpose was to redeem mankind back to himself. Now, we know that he didn't find joy in the event. Just because he was God didn't mean there was some supernatural thing that he wasn't experiencing pain. He was experiencing pain. The nails in the hands hurt. The crown of thorns on his head hurt. The spear in his side hurt, hanging on a cross, suffocating, hurt. But because he had purpose, he was able to approach that situation with joy. It wasn't the situation itself that gave him joy. It was the outcome of the situation. And it's the same for you and me. We don't have to look at situations we're in that we wouldn't want to be in and say, thank goodness for this situation that stinks. But we can look and we can have joy because we believe that the outcome is going to be for our good because that's what God says it is. He says in Romans 8, 28, he works the good in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can have joy because we know that the outcome is going to be good because that's who God is. It's a good thing. Going through pain with purpose is a lot better than going through it without purpose. And here's the thing. There's so many things in our life that would want to take that mantle 
or take the place, the platform of purpose in our life. So many things that, that we have to do in this life that can, if we're not careful, can become our purpose. Whether it's careers, relationships, education, whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's things that, that we have to deal with in this life that if we're not careful, those things become our purpose. But it's not meant to be our purpose. Our purpose is not about self-fulfillment. It's not about self-gratification. It's not about getting ahead in life. Our purpose is to be his and to be part of his kingdom and that, that our desire would be that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done in our lives and through our lives into this earth. That is the purpose that we are here for. And we have to remind ourselves of that constantly because there are so many things in this world that would want to take that purpose and be our purpose in our life. But we can say, as Jesus did, that if there's, there's no other way, there's no other way to live this life but for him. That's the only purpose we have that's going to have eternal value in our life. Amen? All right, would you stand with me, please, as I close today? 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, it's God's will for you to be joyful. He wants you to have joy in life. Sometimes it's, a, it's an emotional thing where he gives us joy. He overwhelms our heart, sometimes in worship, where we can experience his presence in a powerful way. That's a beautiful way to experience his joy. But sometimes it's about cultivating. It's about making good choices so that when the tough situations come, we can actually choose joy in our life. Because sometimes we have to choose it. Sometimes joy chooses us. Sometimes we have to choose it. But let's be careful. Let's be diligent and intentional to do that. As I said earlier, if you're here today and you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, that you would say, I, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't, I've never really been devoted to him. I, I might have said a prayer one time at an altar, but I don't know that I've been devoted to him and given him my life. Can I just encourage you today not to leave without doing it? As we pray today, just, just ask him to, to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and, and just, just declare today that you're going to live for him. That it's no longer going to be you, it's going to be him living in you. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that we will be saved. That all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So don't leave today without doing it. For those of us that have done it, we can tell you, we can attest, we can testify that it's the best decision we ever made in our life. Hands down, no question. Some of us, maybe you've lost your joy. You need your joy restored today. I would encourage you to just to be humble before God. Just open your heart to him today. He will, he is the restorer of our joy. He is the one that can do it. And then let's pray that we would be intentional about cultivating and making good decisions so that joy could be a byproduct of that in our life. I just encourage you to respond today in some way. You can kneel, you can raise, lift your hands, close your eyes, bow your head, whatever. But I think it's important that we respond to the word of God. So let's respond in some way today as we pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are the one that brings us joy. That the joy of the Lord is our strength. And God, we come to you today and we confess that we have allowed that joy to erode sometimes. Maybe some of us in here haven't experienced the joy of the Lord in some time. God, would you take us back to that place? Would you restore your joy in your people today? As they open their hearts to you, God, would you restore that joy? As we open our hearts, as we commit to be devoted 
to you, God. Those things that are holding us back from being fully devoted, God, we want to leave those things behind. Give us the strength, give us the courage to leave those things behind today and to be 100% fully devoted to you. We know that it doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't mean we won't have, make mistakes. But Lord, we will give ourselves to you. We will, as David did, we will humble our hearts and, and admit and confess to you when we sin and trust that you are there to not only forgive us, but to set us free from all of those things that hinder us. It is to your glory to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we receive that today. And Lord, for those today that don't know you, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to open their heart to you, to just say, God, be my God. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Help them to trust that you are coming in in that moment that you are saving them, that you're writing their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And God, I pray for every one of us that we would not be half-heartedly devoted to you, but that we would give you everything. Lord, that if there, was a, if there was a Sanhedrin today, that they would not bypass us because we're not even worthy to suffer for your name. But Lord, that we would stand out, that we would be people that people would see us and they would take note and notice and remember that we are with Jesus. And that our lives would represent it. Lord, help us to be your light. Help us to be your hands and feet. And Lord, as we, as we go through the, this, this week, Father God, and all the stress and everything that comes with Christmas, Lord, would you help us to keep focus on you, that we would have your perspective in the midst of this holiday season. Help us to remember that we're doing this because we are celebrating your birth, the greatest event in the history of the world. And we thank you for it, Lord. We give you all the honor and the praise, God. And we pray that you would seal this work in our hearts, Lord. Let our hearts, let this produce fruit in our lives, God, as we leave this place today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Give God praise today one more time, huh? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I would say today, if you made a decision for the first time or maybe you recommitted your life today, tell somebody. Tell somebody so that you can, because the enemy's going to try to tell you when you leave this place, nothing happened, nothing changed. You're going to be the same person you were. The enemy's got a, he's got a plan for your life too. So make sure you're intentional about letting somebody know that can help you walk through this season.